Good morning. I just want you to know it's, I've really enjoyed getting ready to uh, preach uh, today. I've also enjoyed seeing um, some renewal in the Sunday school classes that we have, um, in addition to the classes that Miss Betty lead and Steve and John lead, we have a new class with Andrew leading, um, and it, the first class was today, and we would love, there's still room, so please come and join us uh, next Sunday, that starts at 9.30. But uh, let's go ahead and just jump right in and, and look at the text. I know that the, uh, the title for the text is Finding Joy in the Passenger Seat. That will make sense a little later, okay? So just hang on to that thought, the joy of finding, finding joy in the passenger seat. <clears throat> Let's pray. God, thank you for this day. Thank you for the opportunity to bring your word. Thank you, Father God, that your word is truth. And God, that in your word we find our solace, we find our, our being as you are showing us who we are to be and what role you've called us to play and how that role uh, works in your, in your economy in the way that life will play out. And so, Father, I pray that as we spend time in your word today, that you would let us find that joy. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so for context today, I just want you to remember that today's text happens on the heels of Jesus cleansing the temple and the interaction that he has with Nicodemus. So he's coming to Jerusalem. He's had that interaction with cleansing the temple, being with Nicodemus, and having him in that time. And then jumping into right into verse 22, chapter 3, verse 22. Uh, After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside, and he remained there with them and was baptizing. John also was baptizing at Anon near Salem, because water was plentiful there. And people were coming to be baptized, for John had not yet been put into prison. Okay, so just for again, what what we're laying out here: Jesus and his disciples are in one part of the country baptizing, and John and his disciples are in, in another area. So they're separated from each area. Look what verse twenty-five says. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. You know, the text doesn't tell us anything else. Possibly, the Jewish person was confused about what baptizing was claiming to do, and and we don't know. But the Jews, like Nicodemus, had legitimate questions about what was going on. Verse 26, and they... John's disciples came to John the Baptist. There's so many Johns in this text. (laughs) Okay, John the Baptist, and said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. I think John's disciples were, seemed to be genuinely perplexed. One minute, they were hanging out with the new talk of the town, the rising, popular, shiny teacher. John's call to repentance and being cleansed of sin, coupled with his chastisement of the religious establishment, brought the people to him in droves, and they loved being part of it. And then, the next thing you know, this new guy, Jesus, and his growing band of disciples appeared to be stealing the show. Maybe John's disciples thought they were defending and protecting 
and thinking John would do something or say something that would turn the people's attention back to him. But no, look what he says. Verse 27, John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. John's response is twofold. First, his response is what he believes of himself. In other words, John was doing what he was given from heaven to do, which was to prepare the way for the Lord by calling the people to repentance and then baptizing them with water in preparation for Christ's baptism of the Holy Spirit to all who would believe. Secondly, his response is what John believes of Christ himself. In, in seeing his work and hearing his words, people are drawn to Christ, then, he must be, then, he, then this must be what he was given from heaven to do as well. After saying this, John goes on and reminds them of what they know he said of Christ earlier. Verse 27, You yourselves bear me witness that I said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. John was saying, you know, this, this isn't a popularity contest. I, I'm not the Christ. I'm just a messenger, a witness, preparing you ushering you to the Christ. John the Baptist then puts on his John the teaching rabbi hat and is going to further explain this relationship with Christ and Christ's relationship with his people by way of an analogy that Christ himself used throughout the Gospels and is seen in the epistles and in the book of Revelation, the analogy of a wedding. Weddings are a big deal in the Middle East. I got to go to several, and they are a neighborhood celebration. The wedding week in the UAE, the United Arab Emirates, where Marilyn and I lived, is kicked off with the groom's house being entirely blanketed with lights. I mean, entirely. It's, it's just, from miles away, the entire house is blanketed with lights, signifying to all the men of the neighborhood to come to his house for a big party that will, is going to last several days. After the men's party, the bridegroom goes then to the bride's house, where they've been celebrating as well, and he takes her from the house to his home. In the Middle East, it's the bridegroom's friend, what we would call the best man, that arranges all the logistics for this. So listen to what John says. Verse 29, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. John is telling his disciples again, look, I'm not the bridegroom you want me to be. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. The bridegroom is Christ my role here is to make sure that the bride is ready for the bridegroom. Now, who's the bride? Well, it's the worldwide church. All who have put their faith and hope in Christ and his work of salvation on the cross. 
John is telling his disciples that his role is to prepare the way for Christ to come and claim his bride. John knew his role was to be a servant to Christ. And he not only accepted it, but as we'll see in a minute, he rejoiced in it. David Christopher and Jason McEnany and I have been reading a book together, and though it's taken twice as long to get through the book as we had planned, uh, I've really enjoyed reading the book with them and getting to know them well. The book is uh, called The Masculine Mandate by Richard Phillips. In the book, Phillips retells the story about David, who, though he had been told he would become the next king, was fleeing from his, for his life from Saul, the current king, because of Saul's all-consuming, hateful jealousy against David. Saul's jealousy stemmed from how David had won the people's hearts for his mighty deeds in conquering the Philistines. Phillips is telling the story to illustrate how men need other men in their lives to encourage them when they are under attack. Amen? Let's try it again. Amen? Amen. Amen. Thanks, men. To do so, the author zeroed in on David's close friendship with Jonathan, who ironically, which means providentially, was Saul's son, whom Saul wanted to be the next king. A compounding factor in Saul's anger was that Jonathan had heard the prophecy that David was to be the king, and Jonathan was okay with that. Why? Because Jonathan, like John the Baptist knew, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it's given him from heaven. So how did Jonathan respond when Saul, with his army, was out to kill David? First uh, Samuel 23, 15 through 17. David saw that Saul had come out to seek his life. David was in the wilderness of Ziph at Horish. And Jonathan, Saul's son, rose and went to David at Horish and strengthened his hand in God. And he said to him, Do not fear, for the hand of Saul my father shall not find you. You shall be king over Israel, and I will stand next to you. Saul my father also knows this. Note what's happening here. First, Jonathan is committing high treason by giving aid to his father's sworn enemy. Do you see that? Jonathan is clearly saying, you, not me, will be the next king over Israel. Jonathan is risking his life to save his best friend. Jonathan crossed into, into enemy territory to do so. David's guys might have killed him for him coming into to help David. Jonathan spoke truth 
to David. I wonder, do you have people that do that for you? Finally, notice how Jonathan did it. By strengthening David's hand in God. This is why our vision here at Friendship is to be a family of disciples growing together in grace and truth. Last week, Mark shared from John three nineteen, And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. We want all of you, eventually, to be in a discipling relationship so that the darkness that the world has to offer you, you, like John the Baptist and Jonathan, know clearly who you are and the light you're called to be. That will only happen when we, when we, as the waiting bride of Christ, can move beyond just friendly information exchanges about the weather, which is a fun topic, into life-transforming, intentional, relational friendships that strengthen you, like Jonathan did for David, in the mighty deeds and actions and words and promises of God Most High. One of the reasons I love being one of your elders here at, at Friendship is because I get to intentionally hang out with three really awesome guys that love Christ, love me, and love you. Guys, seek the office of elder. It will bless you, it will bless the church, and it will help us grow to be light in a dark world. A couple of questions to ponder before we go on. John the Baptist knew who he was. Do you know who you are? Do you know the role God is calling you to play to bring light to the dark in your sphere of influence? Could that role be stepping into a relationship with a couple of other people that's purpose is to push back the dark and strengthen one another in the Lord. I hear people say, I, I don't have any close friends. If that is you, can I ask you, what are you doing today to resolve that? I, I know you're busy. We're all busy but we all make time for what is most important. Different seasons of life have different demands. Don't let that be an excuse that feeds habits that isolate you and give you an inward focus. Add your light to another's that becomes outward focused becomes a bonfire here in the Park Circle area whose warmth and radiance is felt around the world. 
Let's jump back to verse 29. The friend of the bridegroom, who we've established is John the Baptist, stands, which is a posture of readiness to serve, and hears him because he's listening for his voice, ready to respond. He rejoices greatly as John did for Christ and Jonathan did for David at the bridegroom's voice. Now look at verse 29, the last part of it. What's the result of all this? What, what, is, what, is, what does uh, John the Baptist say after having said this and laid out what his role is, who he is, what he's supposed to do? He says, therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. John found joy is not only in his role, but that he played it. And now it was completed. The last thing I remember doing at my son's wedding was at the close of the reception, reception, we were handed out these big three-foot-long sparklers. Have you guys seen those things? They're like, they're like huge, okay? Uh, I want to tell you, they are really hard to light. And if you're in charge of lighting those things, matches is not going to cut it. You need to bring a little torch, okay? That's just a little side, little side note there, okay? But uh, I was trying to get these crazy sparklers lit, and then my, my Navy protocol mindset kind of clicked in, and it was really being challenged because people weren't standing in straight lines, okay? So this is all going through my mind, and then there they were, hand in hand, big goofy smiles all over their face, exiting among hoops and hollers of congratulations. They got in the car, and they drove off. And my heart was filled with joy. It's images of him running to me as a child, now being him running away to his new life with his beautiful bride. Our hopes and dreams to get him to this point, and it was challenging, was now complete. My son was officially now his own man, with his own wife, and would begin his own family soon. While David and I will always have a father-son relationship, my role as the responsible authority in his life was now joyfully completed. John's last words here for today are what I think are the most difficult to implement, especially for the rugged individualist our Western society continues to breed into us. Verse 30. He must increase, but I must decrease. I drive anywhere and any time I get in a car. Okay? Very rarely do I not drive? Maybe it's because it's an inherited thing, because my dad drove us as a family everywhere, but I think it goes to something much deeper. I, like my dad, want to be in total control. I want to do what I want to do. 
when I want to do it, where I want to do it, and with whom I want to do it. Is anybody saying amen? Amen. All right. All right. So we're, we're very close to each other. Okay. But being a passenger means that you are submitting to someone else's driving. It's letting them take control and you being okay with it. Today's message in one clear statement, if you're taking notes, this is it. John the Baptist showed up in a shiny new car that got lots of attention. Then he joyfully handed the keys to Jesus. Who holds the keys to your car? Do you trust the driver? Are you okay with where he might take you? It may be overseas. It may be in the nursery. Or getting up early to regularly meet with others for prayer and encouragement. Maybe visiting a homebound senior saint that a year from now might be your Jonathan. Maybe being part of a church plant, revitalizing and helping a struggling church. Can you find joy in the passenger seat? If so, you are a better person than me. Because I struggle with this daily. But I've had some John the Baptist kind of people invested in my life that pointed me in the right direction. They taught me that I can actually enjoy life more as I decrease and he increases in me. It's through their discipleship their investment in my life that I began to enjoy the grace of God and the gospel reality of what he has given me to do as I grasp who I really am in him. This decrease of me and increase of him is best summed up in one verse And if you know me well, you know what verse I'm going to say. Galatians 2.20. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ that lives within me. The life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. This verse is a sermon in itself. But notice that what it is saying is that in giving control, giving the car keys to Christ, dying to self as I live by faith like John the Baptist did, he now lives in me. And trust me, he is the best me that I will ever be. And why did he extend his sacrificial grace to me? Because he loves me. And that's why, that's what we mean by enjoying the grace of God. 
That grace then overflows into every area of my life, especially in the interaction I have in Christ's body, the church. For it is here in the church where we are an extension, an embodiment of Christ to one another. It is for joy, not routine, that we are to gather here every Sunday. As we walk in the role God has given to us, we decrease. We give him the car keys as he increases. His light shining through us into the darkness. He wants to penetrate. Then we, like John the Baptist and Jonathan did for David, will find joy for ourselves in loving and serving our church as we all live out our roles collectively and see that joy shine forth, extending not just here in this community, but around the world, wherever God may lead us. Then our joy, like John the Baptist, will be complete. Amen? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for your encouragement. Thank you for John the Baptist's example of doing what he was called to be, knowing who he was, doing what he was called to be, and then in rejoicing it as he pointed to you. Father, God, if If there's anything that we can learn today, help us to learn to decrease so that he can increase so that this light that we have will shine throughout the darkness. And Lord, we we look forward to the day that this will be completed by you. In Jesus' name, amen.